Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, stone shop owners from across the Fruited Plain, I'm your host, Aaron Crowley. So glad to be tuning in with you for another episode here, episode 122, A Tale of Two Owners. Now, this is a continuation of a theme we've been on, talking about how to reduce costly mistakes, talking about the mindset for mistake management, if you will, this, so this whole topic of how do we leverage tools within our businesses to reduce oversights, mistakes, and remakes that are so costly and so damaging to the bottom line. This is a continuation of this. Two episodes ago, before my interview with Larry Hood, editor of the Slippery Rock Gazette, we talked about a mindset for mistake management. And it really, I think we have to continue this theme, talking about the, the mindset, the mentality that is the foundation for using tools for delegation within our businesses. And in this episode, I'm gonna contrast two different mindsets, a tale of two owners. These two owners I know very well, extremely well. And at the end, you're gonna you're gonna have a better idea of who these owners are. But I'm gonna I'm gonna basically tell this in story form. Two different stories, two different experiences, and two very different outcomes, despite the fact that the underlying you know, competitive nature of these two owners is virtually identical. The experience, the background, the skill sets, more or less the same, the same starting point, let's just say that, but the outcomes diverge and are very, very different. Now in this story format of telling a story about two owners, this tale of two owners, you're gonna see something that's hopefully relatable to you. Number one, in the experience itself, but more importantly, number two, where do you want to be? Which owner do you want to be? Where do you want to be down the road as a result of the mindset that you have today? Because the mindset related to mistake management, using processes and checklists in your business to reduce mistakes also provides a whole bunch of other really, really, really powerful and important advantages to you, stone shop owner not just in their area of mistake management or reducing mistakes, remakes, and oversights. It plays out in many facets of the business and it's all good. So you're gonna see that contrast today. Now, before we get started, I wanna make an offer to you. I wanna let you know, um, as you probably know, you've maybe heard me mention this occasionally. I don't talk about it very much on the podcast itself, but I do a fair amount of coaching of stone shop owners, helping owners to implement the process that I talked about in my book, how to basically assign the position, define the result, design the operation, how to leverage that tool in the business to really do what we're gonna talk about in this episode today. So I'm making an offer. You gotta to listen to the very end of the episode to, to find out the instructions for how to take advantage of it, but here's the offer. It's a complimentary coaching experience. All of my coaching begins with a complimentary coaching experience so stone shop owners can get a taste, can get a sense of what it's like to be coached through this process. And so listen to the very end. If you're intrigued by this episode, by this topic, and it's something you'd like to learn more about, follow the instructions, reach out to me, and maybe we'll schedule a complimentary coaching call and we can spend 90 minutes together talking about your business and what you'd like to accomplish in it. So let's get started. A tale of two owners. Now, owner number one. Well, actually, before I get into owner number one, I wanna reemphasize the fact that these two owners started at the very same place. Same amount of time in the industry, same amount of time in business, same experiences, same skill sets. Basically, very, very level playing field in terms of the starting point. It's the experience and the outcome that you will see is a little bit different. So let's just call owner number one, Jim. Now to, to put it in summary, Jim succeeds by sheer force of will, dedication, and the sheer number of hours that he works in his stone shop. Very common. Very, very 
admirable, the work ethic there. So now he is the first one to the shop. He's always the first one at his desk. He's there quoting, he's there planning, he's arranging, he's taking care of details that weren't wrapped up the day before. Jim is intense. You might conclude that he is abrupt and a little bit short. He has very little patience, very little patience, and he appears to be easily annoyed. Now, his employees know he's a good guy. In the end, he always does the right thing for the customer and for the crew. But the crew is typically on eggshells around old Jim. He's just an intense guy. Now, nerves fray when he comes into the office, when he goes out into the shop, when he magically appears, boop, pops up on the install. Nerves get a little bit frayed. People get a little bit tense when he's around. He's just an intense guy. He's kind of critical. He likes to point things out that he's not satisfied with, and he's not very delicate. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He just says it like it is, and very oftentimes, he's not pleased with how it is, and he makes that very known. At other times, old Jim is just too wore out to say anything. Maybe on a better day, earlier in the week when he was fresher, he might muster the mental fortitude and the strength to say something and to have another battle, to have another confrontation, to point out another issue that he's not pleased with. But towards the end of the week, after he's dealt with so many of those issues, he just internalizes it. He's just too tired. He can't bring himself to face another issue. So he stuffs it down. He tamps it down. Veins bulge in his forehead and on his neck. He seethes with anger on his way to the next issue that needs to be resolved. Now, he never says this out loud, perhaps, but you can imagine him saying this. If you want it done right, you have to do it yourself. He never actually says that, but you get the sense that that is what he believes, especially when dealing with issues that haven't gone well, that he may or may not have to resolve himself. Now, he seems to be everywhere at once. The pace is remarkable. People literally marvel at how busy it is, at how much he gets done. Where he, why, I mean, here, there, everywhere, he's everywhere. They wonder, how does he maintain this pace? Sales, quoting, templates, layouts, problems, installs, back to the shop, fixing the saw, talking to the suppliers, dealing with the customer, bringing on a new account, talking to the equipment manufacturer, getting a solution, getting the part shipped. He's everywhere at once. He's answering questions. He's connecting all the dots, the details between the template, between the sale, between the cutting, between the slab supplier, between the install. He's holding it all together. He bridges all the gaps. He's running sinks and backsplash to job sites. He provides guidance, training, teaching when necessary, even when it's not requested. And that is all when things are going well. That's Jim, owner number one. That's his pace. That's his mentality. Can you relate? Do you know anybody like that? Perhaps you stare at this guy in the mirror. Perhaps you wake up next to him in bed. That's how things are going when things are going well. But what happens when things go wrong? This is a tale to owners. Owner number one, Jim. When things go wrong, you better look out. When things are overlooked, when there are oversights, mistakes, and remakes, perhaps... The progressive nature of the costs that these fires that he has to put out and pay for affect his mood immediately and accordingly. His state of mind declines when these issues come up. You can see it. You may not ever hear the words come out of his mouth, although you also might hear the words come out of his mouth, but you know, uh-oh, 
he does say things that he regrets, or you would think at least would be regrettable. Whether he regrets them could be in question. He probably regrets them. He always feels more tired after he explodes, and that could be an external explosion. It could be an internal implosion. Either way, there are eruptions going on and going off when these issues come up, when things are not going well. Sometimes it happens in front of the crew. Sometimes it happens when nobody is around. When he's in the presence of the crew or the staff or even the customer sometimes, he might make snide comments. He might make rude comments. He might even subtly threaten people or imply that their jobs are in jeopardy because of a mistake, an oversight, or a remake. He slams doors. He kicks garbage cans. He slams things around. He calculates the cost to his pocketbook and considers how he might replace imperfect employees for new employees who might not make the same mistakes and will never let him down. He has these mental gymnastics. He thinks about this. He spends a lot of time imagining, mentally stewing on alternatives. What if? What if I could find people who could just do this right? What if I could find people like me? He thinks it. Sometimes he says it. He plays these scenarios over and over in his mind. Talks to himself, has conversations with himself while he plays the role of both parties, himself and the person who made the mistake. He tries to hide this, but he can't. So he goes home. But even as he drives home, the drive home isn't long enough to deal with the underlying seething frustration that he has experienced on that particular day. His wife and kid don't even have to ask. They can see it on his face the moment he walks through the door. Hey, another day. Living the dream, owning the stone shop. And sometimes that life, sometimes that dream seems like it is nothing but oversights, mistakes, and remakes that he has to pay for. Nobody else gets their pocketbook out. Nobody else opens up their wallet and pays for these mistakes. He has to pay for them. And that cuts deep. And those cuts continue as he gets home. The family understands. It's a stressful job. It's a stressful industry. It's a stressful time. It's busy. It's just too much. There's too much work, not enough crew. Too much to do, not enough staff. It's too much stress. As much as Jim wants to leave the work at work, as much as he tries, it seems to just follow him home. He can't let it go. As bad as he wants to, he can't. And that's his life. His life is blurred. The lines between work and home aren't as easily distinguished. He hasn't learned how to delegate. So these burdens, these responsibilities, these realities, he can't escape them. They follow him home. They go with him. He brings them home. He internalizes everything. He is the central clearinghouse for all information. And so at the end of the day, no matter what's going on, whether he's at work or at home, he's got to deal with it. He's got to deal with the problem face-to-face -face at work. He's got to think through the problem when he gets home. That's the only place he's got relief from all the questions. It's the only time he has time to pause long enough to imagine what his next step might be. So we're going to talk about that next step. That's the tale of the first owner, Jim. Can you relate to his experience. I know I can. I owned a stone shop for 23 years. Very, very relatable. Perhaps you're wondering how I can articulate that so well. 
Well, I lived it, fellow fabricator, for a lot of years. Now, real quick, before we talk about owner number two, I want to talk about another tale. A tale of two installers. Installer number one, highly skilled, five years of experience. But after five years of carrying 3CM countertops in his body is beginning to say, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do this. Installer number one is beginning to ask himself the question, how long is my body going to enable me to keep doing this? How long am I going to be able to employ this skill that I have developed to make this wage that I'm currently earning? Whew. He doesn't know because the counters are so stinking heavy. He's actually starting to imagine. He's starting to wonder. He's starting to actually conclude, I'm going to have to change professions, perhaps careers, perhaps industries even, which sucks for him because it means starting over and also sucks for his employer because he loses a highly skilled installer that cannot be replaced, especially in this market. Now, installer number two, he's also highly skilled, five years of experience, but he uses the no-lift install system. So instead of being utterly and completely exhausted physically at 11 o'clock in the morning when they finally get all the countertops in, before they start doing the actual work of installing, leveling the counters, adjusting overhangs, mixing glue colors, gluing seams, cutting backsplash, cutting cutouts, doing that thinking work, the real work that actually creates the finished product that the customer pays for. He's fresh. He ain't wore out. He didn't have to lay on the grass in the front yard to catch his breath before he could start actually working. He can get right to work. The other benefit to this is that his skill sets will continue to grow. His ability to develop professionally as a highly skilled professional installer will not be cut short by physical limitations. He will continue to be able to install, to learn, and grow. What does this do? This benefits himself because his career is insured in all senses. His skills that he is developing can be employed on into the future. This is a benefit to him and his income potential, it's also a benefit to his employer who gets the benefit of that skill continuing to be applied within the business to make the customer happy. So ladies and gentlemen, if you have installers who are putting 3CM countertops into place and you don't have a no lift, I'm telling you this is a tale of two installers, there is going to come a point at which your current installers will not be able to carry them into the house any longer. It's a fact. It's an inescapable, 100% guaranteed reality of picking up carrying countertops into houses. But if you get them a no lift, those skills that they are developing, those skills that are bringing you, bringing you completed installs with happy customers, you're going to continue to get that benefit. And that benefit actually increases the longer that installer works for you. So do yourself a benefit. Reduce the prospect of losing a highly skilled installer and get a no-lift install system today. And do a benefit for your installer. Make an investment in their career, in their future. How cool would that be to know, to go to sleep knowing, I've invested in a piece of equipment that's gonna enable this human being, this employee of mine, that brings profit in and puts money in my pocket. How cool is it to know that you have done something that has significantly improved his career and his life outside of work? Now. You can learn more about that at noliftsystem.com. So check out noliftsystem.com. But that carries over. While I mentioned that, <laughs> that life outside of work, let's continue this conversation about the tale of two owners. Let's talk about owner number two. He succeeds 
In the same way that owner number one, Jim succeeds by sheer force of will, dedication, and hours worked, owner number two, who we'll call Bob, he succeeds by delegating, by training, and reminding over and over again. So Bob, Bob started off just like Jim, same amount of time in business, same skill set, same experience, same level of professional development in the industry before he started his business. But very soon after he started, he made a conscious decision. I want you to listen to this fellow fabricator. There is a huge distinction here, the difference between a delegator and a doer. There's nothing wrong with doing the work. The question is, is what work do you want to do as the owner? Bob made the decision to become a delegator, not just a, now he still does stuff. <laughs> it's just, what does he do? That's the question. It's different stuff than Jim does. And because he does different stuff, his experience is different. His experience inside of work, and equally important, his experience outside of work. He does different work at work. And as a result, the experience for him is utterly unrecognizable from the experience that Jim has. He does not do the tactical operating level tasks anymore, like quoting, like selling, like problem solving, invoicing, scheduling, templating, programming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What he does, over time, he has progressively worked himself or herself out. I guess it wouldn't be herself if her name is Bob. Let's just call him himself. Bob has progressively, over time, delegated one task at a time. He started off just like Jim, identical, same place, doing the work, doing the quotes, being out on site, running the saw. He started in the same place, but over time, he has progressively delegated those tasks one at a time to highly trusted and highly dependable individuals on his team, the people he's already paying to do the work. So what he does now, he monitors the results. He monitors the numbers. He monitors the systems. He reviews the performance of his crew instead of doing it himself. Remember that old thought that Jim had? If you want this done right, you gotta do it yourself. Bob doesn't ascribe to that theory. He does not have those words in the back of his mind. If you want it done right, you gotta do it yourself. Those are words he does not say. Those are words Bob does not think. Bob would think, if I want this done right, when I'm not here, I've gotta more effectively communicate what my expectations are. I gotta clearly define the results I want achieved how well I want it done and when I want it done. And then I got to provide the necessary instructions and checklists so that that outcome can be achieved. That's the thought that occurs to Bob. That's his mindset. So he's reviewing performance. How well is the system working? Well, number one, was the system followed? Okay, if the system wasn't followed, that's where he does more training. That's where he does more reminding. Hey, employee, we didn't get the result we wanted. Did you follow the system? Oh no, okay, well, let's review the system. If you follow the system, I don't have to deal with these problems. I don't have oversights, mistakes, and remakes. <laughs> and I don't have to be dealing with a problem. That's how he responds. He reviews the performance of the crew. He reminds, he trains, he coaches, he checks in. Speaking of checking in, when does he check in? He checks in in the morning, first thing for the morning, the, I'm sorry, the morning ops meeting. In that ops meeting with his key staff, his highly trusted team of people he delegates the important work to, they review how yesterday went, 
How did it go? Did it go well? Did it go badly? Was there anything we'd do differently? Is there anything we could have done better? Then they discuss what needs to happen today. Hey, the day's just getting going. What do we need to do right now to, to, to steer off or to head off any problems that, that might otherwise occur? They have that conversation. They take action where necessary. And it isn't, it isn't Bob who takes action. Bob delegates. Bob says, employee one, employee two, employee three, which one of you should be responsible for making sure that gets done or making sure that that doesn't happen? Then they briefly game plan the next day. Hey, well, while we're talking about it, let's talk about tomorrow. Is there anything that could happen tomorrow that we could take care of today so that we don't have an issue tomorrow? They have that conversation every morning. That's Bob's chief objective. That's Bob's chief contribution. That's where he monitors the systems. That's where he checks in. That's where he reviews. That's where he reminds. And that's where he delegates most of the time. Now, this ops meeting exposes potential problems. It exposes the fires he would otherwise have to put out. And it enables him to delegate the fixes in advance. Can you see the difference? Jim's chasing from one fire to the next, putting them out after they've already blown up. Bob is doing his best to make sure they don't start in the first place. Same experience, same background, same size business, same number of employees, completely different experience at work. He makes this meeting most days, but if he doesn't, he can call in. He can do it over Zoom or he can just call from his phone. He may be running late. He may have a meeting. He may just not want to come in first thing periodically. That's okay. If he chooses not to attend the meeting at all, he simply delegates to one of the staff in the meeting, please take notes, email them to me, anything of note, anything worthy of my attention, please send to me so that I can follow up on it and make sure it gets done. So if he comes in late, the crew still has the meeting. They know what to do. They know they got to review yesterday, today, and tomorrow. They know what jobs have to install. They know what jobs have to be cut. They know what jobs have to be measured because they talked about it yesterday. If he takes the day off, the job still gets quoted, the job still gets sold, the job still gets scheduled, the job still gets templated, cut, fabricated, prepped for install, and installed. And if you can believe this, it even get invoiced without him being there. That's the full implementation of the process. Bob has developed his skill set to be a master delegator. He has refined and refined and refined and practiced and practiced and practiced and continued. He's been just as dedicated as Jim. He's quite frankly worked just as hard. It's just that the work he has done has been different. The work that Bob does is to further and further and further refine the processes through delegation so that the work gets done with an ever-increasing consistency, even on those occasions when he's not there. Now, he's still has issues to deal with. Sometimes the issues, the oversights, the mistakes, the remakes, they're, they're just they're too big for the team to handle. They require the owner's involvement. That's okay. But for all the other issues, he entrusts his staff to take care of them. So that death by a thousand cuts, those many, 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 many issues that Jim has put himself in the middle of by being the only person who can or will deal with them, and he suffers as a result Bob has increasingly separated himself physically and emotionally from those little things that his staff can take care of. So his mind is clear. His mind is fresh. He's not wore out when the big problem comes. 
He's prepared. He's ready. He can take it on. It sucks. Bob never is happy about a problem that he has to deal with, an issue that's so big that it makes its way to his desk. But he's got some mental capacity, some emotional reserves to deal with it. Nasty customer, a real nasty mistake, just a completely inexcusable problem. You know, those happen, and he can deal with them. I want you to know how Bob got to this place, because this is important. It didn't happen by accident. It didn't, he wasn't trained. He, he didn't just learn this by himself. It took study. It took being coached. It took practice. It took resolve. It took commitment and continuous you know, application of certain principles. But where it really started was a mindset. See, it wasn't for the fact that Bob adopted a different mentality, a different mindset from the one he started with. He would have never made this transition. So number one, his mindset, he believes that he can. He believes you can never leave things to chance. He believes you can assume nothing, that if you want people to meet your expectations, you have to be explicitly clear in your communication what it is that you expect. He also trusts fellow fabricator. I'm not talking about Bob for the moment. I want to talk about you personally, just one-on-one, -on -one, really quick. This value, this issue, this, this, this reality of trust Bob trusts in two very significant ways. Please hear me when I say this, fellow fabricator. Bob, number one, trusts his staff. Because he trusts them, he can then entrust to them responsibility. But he also trusts the process. He trusts the principle of delegation. That trust has to be there in both areas. You cannot have one without the other. And if you don't have either, you have no delegation. If you don't have trust, you're Jim. You'll never be able to bring yourself to delegate those tasks and increasingly critical and important tasks if you don't trust your staff and trust the process. Bob trusts both. He has trustworthy staff and he trusts, he believes that by effectively delegating, the work will get done with increasing consistency and he doesn't have to be there. Now, this gives him an amazing amount of flexibility at work. Instead of putting out fires, Bob gets to build the business. He gets to work on refining more processes, enhancing his skill set at delegating, and going out and finding more work and building the company. Now, Bob works at 40, maybe 50 hours a week on a busy week. But that's very different from the 60 to 80 hours a week that Jim is used to working. Now, here's something else about Bob. He can leave work at work. See, he has mental capacity. He knows that there's a system in place the next day to deal with the issues. If we didn't deal with it today, we'll deal with it tomorrow. So he goes home and he understands that one of the benefits, one of the, one of the great, great, great benefits of having learned this skill, of adopted this mindset, of being a delegator instead of a doer, is that it provides him with enough emotional reserves to go home and have a life outside of work. Now, Fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, I am not devaluing anybody who lives, eats, breathes, and dreams work 24-7. That's a, it's a free country. You could do that. But Bob doesn't. And this is just a tale of two owners. Which one are you? Which one do you aspire to be? He can leave work, and he can even take time off knowing that the business is going to run in his absence. Now, Jim reacts. Owner number one reacts to issues, usually in anger. 
It's not productive and it never solves the underlying problem. Bob responds to issues in a very different manner. Bob responds to an issue, an oversight, a mistake, a remake, as an opportunity to further refine the process. Why is this important? Because when he uses the process, when Bob applies delegation tools, he greatly reduces the likelihood of that issue happening again in the future. Instead of planning a time bomb, knowing that eventually that issue is going to reoccur, it's just a matter of time, Bob applies the process today knowing, hey, in the future, I'm not going to have to put out that fire, which gives me time to do either more work in the business, developing it, growing it, expanding it, refining it, or it gives me time to do something outside the business because the business doesn't need me there putting out the fire. Bob is still annoyed. He doesn't relish in problems. He doesn't celebrate mistakes, remakes, and oversights, but it doesn't shut him down. He is not incapacitated by those issues. He has a constructive response, which puts him in a completely different frame of mind. He knows there's a solution. He knows they happen. He just knows how to respond to it instead of reacting to it. So fellow fabricators, that's the point. Jim lives a life that he created for himself. Long hours, lots of frustration, lots of stress. He's reacting. Bob also lives a life that he is continuing to create for himself, but it's different because he is responding in a constructive manner and his life looks different. His life is different. This isn't a hypothetical, ladies and gentlemen. I told you <laughs> that I know, the, I know both owners. Both owners is me. Fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, I started out as Jim. Jim was my existence for years, probably nigh on a decade. And as I progressively moved towards becoming a delegator, I eventually built a business that ran without me. And it was a business I eventually sold to another owner who, wasn't, who didn't aspire to be Jim. He didn't aspire to an 80-hour work week, work week. He aspired to own a stone shop that he could spend his time growing, expanding, and improving. So I want to ask you a question. This is tough. I've been both. I can speak to the transformation and the difference in terms of the quality of life at work and outside of it from becoming a delegate. That's why I do what I do. The impact on my life is so profound. And the contrast from the experience in terms of health and quality of life, that's why I do the Fab Lab podcast. It's why I wrote the book, Less Chaos, More Cash. It's why I coach is to share that transformation. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you are intrigued by the prospect of making that transition, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, I do coaching for stone shop owners who want to make this transition, who want to have a life outside of their stone shop, who want to learn how to make the mental shift first and then employ the process that I write about in my book to gain that reality, to move towards that, to progressively delegate task, 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 task before, too long, they've delegated enough tasks that they don't have to show up at work like they used to. The business doesn't depend upon them for every stage of getting the job done. And so if that's of interest to you, fellow fabricator, check out the show notes. I'm going to give you one of two options. Here are the instructions. You can go to the show notes and click the link that says 90-minute complimentary coaching call. Follow that link. 
fill out the questionnaire so I can learn a little bit about you. And if you do that, I will schedule a complimentary coaching experience with you. We'll get together on Zoom. We'll talk about your business and talk about where you want to go. You can also go to my website, AaronCrowley.com. Click on the Work With Me page and you can find the same opportunity to reach out to me. You can fill out the same form. It'll still come to me. We'll set up a call and we'll get together and we'll talk about your business and what it is you're trying to accomplish, what it is you want to do in your business and outside of your business. So ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, there's the offer, a 90-minute complimentary coaching experience for you if you choose. So make sure you tune in for the next episode. I got another interview coming down the pike and we're going to talk about the difference in the next episode. The difference between reacting, that's Jim, owner number one, and responding, a conditioned response. That's Bob. Jim reacts, and in fact, he overreacts. Bob responds in a constructive manner and it creates a completely different outcome. It creates a completely different experience. So we're going to talk about that in the next episode, the difference between reacting and moving towards a place where you respond, a conditioned response that is productive and powerful and works to your advantage. So ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, until next time, happy fabricating.